All right, Docs, let's face it, time to get real. You tune into Docs Outside the Box because you want to know how to take control of your career, right? Well, look, my new sponsor, Provider Solutions and Development, they have a team of experts ready to guide Docs just like you through today's job landscape. Now, whether you are looking to dive deeper into your specialty or you want to find a healthier work-life balance, they can help find the right fit for you. So I want you right now to start the conversation with a PSND career coach at psdrecruit.org forward slash docs outside the box. What's good, everyone? This is Dr. Nee. Welcome back. Listen, we are going to be talking with Dr. Sylvie Stacy today. She is trained in preventative medicine. But she's also the author of this book called 50 Non-Clinical Careers for Physicians. As you know, this is all in vogue now, right? Doctors are being more open, exploring, talking about what it's like to maybe use their clinical skills to transition into another career. But I think the first step, the hardest step is realizing what other options are out there. And then obviously after that, taking the next step and actually taking action can be the next hardest step after that. So. She's coming on the show to share her story about what it's like to always want to be a doctor, talk about it to everyone. And then right as she got to the penultimate step, realizing that practicing clinically is not exactly how she thought it was going to be. What do we do next? So she took it to the next level. She decided to take action and she did something about it. She created a website that kept track of all of these different careers and then eventually wrote this book. And as a matter of fact, she reached out to me right before it was published to ask if I can endorse it. I read it. It's dope. Actually, I got a couple of ideas from it. I'm not going to tell you which ones I'm going to choose, but this is really a good book. And I definitely recommend this for anyone who is thinking about it. Anybody who just wants to jump right into it. It's a great book. You can find it on Amazon and check out a more recent upcoming episode where I'm going to be doing a giveaway on this book. All right. So this is something that I think you should share with others. If you have a friend, if you have a colleague who you think would benefit from this, make sure you share this with them. Without further ado, I present Dr. Sylvie Stacey. We're going to be talking about the 50 non-clinical careers for physicians. Let's get it. Hey, Dr. Sylvie, what's up? How you doing? Welcome to Docs Outside the Box. Hi, Ani. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's good to see you. Congratulations on your book, The 50 Non-Clinical Careers for Physicians. Yeah, I'm excited to have that out. It's been a long time in the making. Well, how long are we talking? I started thinking about ideas for this book. I think my first notes dated back to late 2017. I started jotting down ideas about topics for the book and writing down thoughts about how I could set it up and organize the book. And I spent a very long time just thinking and researching, and it was really probably the end of 2019 that I hunkered down and actually fleshed it out and really started writing. Okay. So this book, obviously, <laughs> is for those docs out there who are you know, looking to possibly transition into something that's non-clinical based, or at least want to learn more about it. It's on Amazon. It's a great read. As a matter of fact, you hooked me up with an opportunity to be an endorser of your book because I read it and it was great. So thank you very much for giving me the opportunity. So I just wanted to just do a full disclaimer on that. My question to you is, tell us about your background. Like, let's know more about you. Like, what kind of led you to write this book? Because, you know, a lot of people don't just start writing a book about something that's not related to specifically what they're doing from a full-time gig standpoint. So take us through that story. Sure. 
So I got my MD from UMass Medical School, and I did a residency in preventive medicine at Johns Hopkins. And I've been doing a few things since that time, which I'll get into in a minute. But to give you kind of the backstory, when I was in medical school, I realized pretty quickly after starting that I just didn't see myself in a traditional clinical setting for the rest of my career. I couldn't envision myself having patient encounter after patient encounter day in and day out. So I pretty soon after starting, started to think about what, well, first, if I had made just a very bad mistake. Mm. And second, if it wasn't a mistake, what could I do to make sure that I had a satisfying career ahead of me? And that led me to explore all the different options that I had. If it's okay, can we go into more of those feelings as a medical student? Like, how soon are we talking? Are we talking like the next day? Or are we talking like once you start like your third or fourth year? Because I think it's important. Like people want to know because there are people who feel this way and they just don't know exactly how to verbalize it. And you may be able to offer that lifeline to them. Sure. So for me, it was very early on. I want to say within the first month or two of medical school. Really? And yes. So the way By then you've already signed like your promissory note. So I'm sure there's a lot of pressure on you at this point. Uh-huh. For me, it had been a childhood dream of mine to be a doctor. I just, probably since the age of eight or nine, I wanted to be a doctor. And I just had tunnel vision for that throughout my undergrad and taking the MCAT and then applying and getting in. And it was like everything I ever wanted. Mm -hmm. And then it was during the very first clinical opportunity that they provide you during first year. It's not a rotation, but UMass anyway, they hook you up with a primary care clinician so that you can do outpatient clinic with them, learn how to interview patients and just kind of learn the ins and outs of, of what it means to have a practice. And it was during that time that I thought, mm, you know, I don't really like interviewing <laughs> patients that much. Certainly not all day, every day. And I was also somewhat frustrated by the fact that there seemed to be so many opportunities for health improvement that we didn't have time to focus on in that clinic. So for example, and an overweight patient with hypertension and diabetes, I felt like we would give her a couple of prescriptions, but not really take the time to provide the education that she needed about lifestyle changes. Mm. And that struck me as an opportunity that was missed, but also a challenge that I couldn't necessarily overcome the way that our healthcare system works. I felt like I would just be frustrated by that for a very long time if I went into primary care. Did you get opportunity to shadow before you went into medical school? Any opportunity to see patient care before, you know, applying and getting in? Yeah, I did quite a bit of shadowing in several different specialties. And I think it was those blinders that I had on the tunnel vision mm. that yes, okay. prevented me from seeing anything that wasn't very positive about that experience. The shadowing just really got me more excited about going into medicine and for whatever reason, it wasn't until I got there and I was in the nitty gritty of it that I started to think, I'm not sure if this is going to be fulfilling for me. Damn. So Dr. Sylvie, like you are like in your first month, second month, and you're like, yeah, I don't know if this is for me. Like, was there anybody else who you could talk to? Was there classmates or family? One of the first people that I talked to was my undergrad college roommate. And okay. I told her that I wasn't really enjoying the patient contact aspect of medical school. And I didn't really <laughs> like talking to patients. And she paused, took one look at me and said, well, Sylvie, did you think that you would? 
as though it, it was so obvious to her that, you know, I'm very introverted. I'm never very talkative. It was obvious to her mm. that that's not something that I would enjoy. And uh, it okay. had honestly just never dawned on me before then that this wouldn't be something that I liked. So that was just sort of a funny conversation, not necessarily. When she said that, were you like, damn, like she's right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I was. (laughs) But that conversation, it it also made me realize, okay, I am very introverted. I don't like to chit chat with patients. It's hard for me to empathize a lot of times and sympathize with patients and make it sound natural. So what can I do? What can I do with the skills that I do have? what specialties might lend themselves to being very introverted. And so naturally, I started thinking about, well, maybe radiology is a good fit for me, or maybe pathology. And certainly, you know, I think that those would have been good options for me. But at some point within the next year or so, I stumbled across the specialty of preventive medicine, Mm. which not only allowed for a very wide breadth of career paths, but also allowed for the opportunity to make changes to healthcare and the healthcare system on a larger scale in many roles. So it kind of addressed both of those concerns that I had as a first year medical student in my longitudinal clinical pathway. Now for the pre-meds and even the first, second, maybe even third year medical students who are listening, they may not be familiar with preventative medicine. Can you tell them what exactly that specialty is? Yeah. So it's one of the less well-known specialties and Well, a couple of reasons for that are there just aren't a lot of residency programs in preventive medicine, and they have different funding than most other residency programs in that they're not primarily funded through Medicare because during residency, you spend only a fairly small portion of your time in direct patient care and a larger portion of your time focused on things like health policy, epidemiology and biostatistics, healthcare management, and other aspects of medicine and healthcare that really treat populations as patients instead of individuals mm-hmm. as patients. Kind of seeing a force. But that said, it, it is a ABMS recognized board certifiable specialty, and it is just two years after an internship. And it's a great thing to consider for many students. Now, what about once you started getting into your third and fourth year? Was it now at this point you're like, okay, preventative medicine is for me, or Were there even more observations that you noted during this process? So by that point, I had an inkling that I would probably end up in preventive medicine. Mm. Still very much was interested in other specialties, especially, as I mentioned, radiology and pathology and other things that I thought would be good for my introvertedness. So I tried as best I could to keep an open mind. But I did find myself, rather than making my list longer, I was just kind of crossing things off as I went. So I did family medicine, I crossed that off the list. I did pediatrics rotation, I crossed that off the list. But one thing that all of those specialties did for me was they helped confirm my interest in preventive medicine. And they confirmed for me that there were opportunities for me within preventive medicine that would really be satisfying. And that would allow me to pursue things that I found very interesting and exciting. Mm. Can you describe that feeling of, you know, how you felt like your first year and then kind of going through your fourth year? Cause it's almost like this silent thing that you're kind of suffering through. You can't really talk to people. Can you like verbalize that or put an emotion to that? What is it like? So on one hand, I did have those negative feelings, but on the other hand, I loved what I was learning in medical school, the science of medicine 
was and still is for me very exciting. So I liked learning pathology and anatomy and histology and all of those ologies. And so being able to hunker down and study for step one, step two, and learn all of that science, that really kept me feeling excited about what I was doing. And I think to a big extent, it sort of muffled out the negative feelings that I was having. So I was never so dissatisfied that I felt like defeated. And I'm sure that some medical students do end up feeling completely defeated, especially if they're struggling with those thoughts, plus struggling academically. You know, I'm very fortunate that I didn't reach that point. But I think the best thing would have been to reach out even more to the school's support system and counselors and deans to try to find some guidance. You know, and I'm thankful that I I didn't end up needing that, but I do feel like that support system was in place, at least at UMass, and they made themselves known for students that need the support, we're here. So I do hope that medical students who are going through similar thoughts use those resources. So how did you get into the whole point of, you know, the thing that I thought was really cool is like you took your struggles and you decided to teach other people about it, right? You started a website, lookforzebras.com. And then obviously you were doing your own non-clinical jobs on the side also. How did you get into that? Tell us some of those positions you were doing. Yeah. So after I started residency and I knew for sure that I was pursuing preventive medicine, at that point, I went from crossing things off my list to adding things on my list. Mm. During preventive medicine training, I had the opportunity to rotate with the Food and Drug Administration, with a pharmaceutical company, with a research institution, and just some very exciting organizations that all do something, provide some service or some product to improve the health of a population or a community. And I loved almost every aspect of it. And I started thinking, well, gosh, now I have all of these options. How am I ever going to pick one? So I had finally found that kid in a candy shop kind of feeling. And one of the ways that I helped to narrow things down was to try to supplement what I was doing in residency with some actual freelancing and contracting work on the side to get a better feel for where I could take things. And that, that first thing I did was medical writing, some freelance medical writing, and I really enjoyed it. I made some extra money on the side, and it allowed me to delve more deeply into some interests. And from there, I picked up a couple more kind of side gigs and started to have friends and other physicians who asked how I was coming across these opportunities and expressed interest in trying something out of, outside of patient care, either during their training or after it. And that's what prompted me to start writing about career fulfillment for medical professionals and all the various ways that we can use our skills and our knowledge and take our careers. And then here's the thing that I'm really interested in is when did you decide that you wanted to write a book about this? When did you decide that you want to just kind of put a whole log of all the different opportunities from a job standpoint that are available to us? So I started the blog, Look for Zebras, I want to say in 2017. And I didn't really have any big plans for it at that point. I just thought, well, you know, I'll get the word out about some of these topics that I feel like physicians are very interested in, but many of them are just unaware of certain opportunities or they're feeling dissatisfied with their careers and they want to read writing from someone, a physician that they can relate to. So I just started posting some articles and I very quickly found that one of the topics that many of my readers were interested in was 
non-clinical careers. Ah, okay. And from there, I started writing more and more about non-clinical careers, got more and more interest, and found that there were certain misconceptions about non-clinical careers and also that many physicians are just very unaware of all of the non-clinical career options that there are out there. So I decided to kind of put it together in one cohesive package where somebody could go and learn about a wide variety of non-clinical careers that they could pursue, but still really use their medical backgrounds and their clinical experience would come into play and their medical knowledge would be utilized. Well, since you brought it up, I actually was interested. What are some of the misconceptions about non-clinical work that's out there? One of the main ones is that you need to have a ton of clinical experience before you can transition to a non-clinical career. And for some careers, that is the case. But there certainly are options for physicians who have very little clinical experience, even those who are coming straight out of residency or even straight out of medical school. And certainly there are differences in terms of where you're a good candidate and what your compensation might be, but there are opportunities for everyone, regardless of what your clinical experience is. What are they looking for? Like, for example, like if someone is looking or a company, or I guess the best way to say is besides a company, but also if a certain industry is looking for physicians who are just out of medical school or whatever in residency, what is, is it that they find attractive about doctors when they are looking? What is it about us? I think there's a couple things. First is just the both the breadth and the depth of the medical knowledge that we have. So even coming straight out of medical school, doctors tend to be considered medical experts. And we are. We've spent a ton of time in medical school and through all those rotations learning about clinical practice and the science of medicine. We are medical experts. And so I think many organizations value that knowledge that we bring to the table. And one thing that sets physicians apart from other healthcare professionals and scientists is that we have that scientific medical expertise combined with the clinical background. And so we can put those two perspectives together. And that is very valuable for a lot of organizations who are offering a product or a service that somehow touches the healthcare industry, or it's a product that's being sold to patients or to clinicians, or that somehow affects a community's overall health. Hmm. So that's a big thing. I cut you off because I know you were saying there were two misconceptions. You did one. What's the second misconception that people have about non-clinical work? A second misconception is that if you leave clinical medicine, you're selling out. Mm, I hear that a lot. Yeah. So some physicians really feel that we have a moral and ethical obligation to stay in clinical medicine and to treat patients who are in need because they have diseases or traumas or conditions that require our help. And I think that as a doctor, doing that for patients is a wonderful, wonderful thing. But if your heart is not in it, you could potentially do more harm than good. I agree. So I don't, I don't agree with that moral and ethical argument. I think that we don't owe it to society to treat patients for the rest of our careers. What we owe to society is simply to use our skills and our knowledge and our backgrounds to do something good, regardless of what kind of good that is. It could be completely unrelated to medicine and we can just use our backgrounds to kind of to mold our thinking in something that, that's not even related to patient care. And that's fine. There's so many ways that we can contribute to society and our medical backgrounds will always 
to some extent come into play and help direct our decision making. Come on, y'all. Now, trust me, I've been there, so I know. So whether it's you're not challenged at work anymore or administration is pissing you off or look, you just can't stand your partners anymore. You know when the writing is on the wall to leave your practice. Now, our sponsor, Provider Solutions and Development, they have a team of experts that are ready to guide you through today's physician job landscape. With over 20 years of experience, they are committed to finding you the right team, the perfect setting, and the work you are meant to do. PSND in-house recruiters are not focused on quotas and they don't work on commission. That's what I'm talking about. Whether this is your moment to shine, pivot direction, discover something new, or heck, look, just be a doc outside the box, Provider Solutions and Development has access to hundreds of opportunities across the country. Reach out today at www.psdrecruit.org forward slash docs outside the box. You know, I don't know what it is. It's like, there's something about having an MD or DO degree that, you know, the rules are different for us than for other professions. Like, I mean, lawyers, they go in and out of law all the time. Like they, for example, my medical school was run by lawyers, you know, like the president was a lawyer or, you know, there's lawyers in multiple areas that are not related specifically to the practice of law, but I'm sure you don't have that whole same thing of, well, you know, you're not a criminal defense lawyer or you're not a, you know, a public defender. Like, what are you doing? You're wasting your time. I don't know why that occurs in medicine, why we do that and stuff. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway, but. Yeah. And here's the thing about non-clinical careers. You really, you are impacting so many lives in many non-clinical careers. Sometimes the health of entire populations at a time rather than individual after individual. And. Preach, Dr. Sylvie, preach. <laughs> so I really feel like for me, in my career that's mostly been non-clinical, I do feel like I'm helping a lot of patients just more indirectly than I would if I worked in an outpatient center or a hospital. All right. Well, let's jump into this book then. Let's talk about your book, 50 Non-Clinical Careers for Physicians. Who is this book for? Tell us. So this is for any medical student or resident or practicing physician who thinks that they m- might want to transition out of clinical care and is not sure what all of the options are. And the book focuses mainly on opportunities where there tend to be full-time jobs available, but certainly many of them could be part-time jobs or consulting work or side gigs. But I did try to focus on career areas where you can go find full-time work. So this is mainly for doctors who might want to just make a complete transition into (laughs) I put the peace sign up. They're like, yeah, we done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I think it could be that's a fear. Helpful. That's a fear that I think mm-hmm. people have. They're just like, well, you know, maybe I don't want to do this anymore. And how do I do something that is, takes full-time work and maybe gets full-time pay also? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think this is real talk. Yeah. So I think that a good place to start for any physician, whether they feel like they want to transition completely and never go back to clinical medicine whether they want to try something new for a while and potentially go back to clinical medicine or whether they just want to dip a toe in the water and, and try something from a freelance or part-time standpoint. I think the book has a lot to offer in that it just presents an array of potential options and 
helps readers to think about what may be a good fit for them based on what their strengths are, where their interests lie, and what type of organization they feel like might be a good fit for them. I really like the examples. Like you actually have anecdotal examples from people who have been able to transition and it correlates with the specific chapter or the specific industry that you're talking about in the book. I thought that was pretty dope. Yeah, thank you. I did try to divide the book up in a way that makes the most sense for someone to start thinking about what industry or sector they may want to start applying for jobs in. That was a difficult task because there really is so much overlap in non-clinical options for physicians. There's so much overlap in, say, a medical director with a pharmaceutical company might do and a medical director even with an insurance company might do in the way that we're using our medical backgrounds and expertise to contribute to whatever service the company is trying to provide or whatever product they're trying to develop. But that said, there are a lot of nuances. Each industry has different sort of regulations that they're working with. There tends to be just a lot of details and a learning curve that someone in that industry needs to learn. Now, what do you think is, you know, someone who's listening right now is like, thank goodness someone wrote this book. Or, you know, I want to get access to this book. Or they're just listening right now and it's like, man, like what are steps one and two? Like what are the first two steps that you think someone should take when they are considering either dipping their toe in or just straight up just diving in into a non-clinical career? I think an important first one is to realize why it is that you're interested in learning about it. Go back to the whys. Yeah. If it is because you're completely frustrated with your clinical job, take a step back and first figure out where is that frustration coming from? Because I would never recommend that anybody leave clinical medicine just out of frustration. They should also have a a true interest in whatever non-clinical career it is that they're pursuing. So I think just Having that in the back of your head before picking up this book is a good place to start. And then after that, I think that someone who's reading the book, if they come across a chapter or two that are of interest to them, I think it can be really helpful to work through your network, find a physician or two who works in that area or knows someone who can and can introduce you to someone who works in that area and just talk to them about their career and how they got there and what it is that they do and, and if they enjoy it. I've done that so many times and I so much appreciate the insight that various people in different industries provided me along the way as I was trying to figure out where I wanted to take things. It was so, so helpful to figure out what my next step should be. Talk about the support that you had when writing this book or if maybe there was lack of support, did you get a lot of doors closing your face when you're trying to do the research on this job or how open were people to this? It was a little bit mixed, I would say. (laughs) I had a lot of enthusiasm from some folks and then others that just seemed, I would say, disinterested. I don't think that I got pushback. I didn't have anybody saying, you really should not be encouraging doctors to take non-clinical jobs. But it was more just folks weren't interested. But not from the few that that just didn't express any interest. I did have a lot of enthusiasm from people and several of the the profiles that I included in there that you mentioned a few minutes back, they're actually friends and former colleagues of mine that I know personally. And so that made it much easier to be able to reach out to them and, and say exactly what it is about their career that made me want to include what they're doing in the book. Now, do you got to change things up? Like, you know, we're so used to doing things in a CV type format. 
do you got to like change your CV into like a resume? Is that like probably like one of the big mistakes that we make is just, we just submit a CV and not be really focused on what we need to be, what we're actually looking for from a job if we want to apply for said job. Yeah, that's a great point. So usually as doctors, we're used to CVs and just including everything that we have ever done and every publication that we've ever had in this long list that doesn't help the reader to identify where our strengths lie and what accomplishments are most relevant to the role we're applying for. So for those reasons, a resume is definitely more appropriate for most non-clinical jobs. There are certain ones, especially in academia, that will still expect someone to apply with a CV. But for the most part, for doctors thinking about non-clinical roles, they should make a resume that does a good job of highlighting what their accomplishments are and tailoring itself to the industry that they're applying in. Now, in terms of people who are transitioning out, like, what do you think is the most common job that people are doing when they are transitioning out or, you know, they, whatever it may be, whatever phase that they want to embrace a non-clinical job or career, what's the most common thing or the most common job that people are transitioning to? One of the most common is a medical director position with a pharmaceutical company. And those can actually take a couple of forms. You can work in drug research and development. So that would be before the drug is approved or more on the medical affairs or post-marketing side. And it's a great job for physicians because you really do need to have, well, first, a great understanding of the therapeutic area for the drugs that you're working with, but also a good understanding of how physicians who work in this therapeutic area are managing patients. What are their thought process? What are the resources available to them? What do the workflows look like in their clinical setting? And so all of that knowledge and background really lends itself well to be being able to contribute to a drug development or medical affairs team. So pharmaceutical industry is a popular one and I think a very relevant one to our backgrounds. And then another one is the health insurance industry. Mm tends to have a lot of opportunities for physicians. As I'm sure almost all of your listeners probably know, there's such a close relationship between clinical physicians and health insurance companies. And by close, I don't necessarily mean great relationship, but certainly they, you have to be able to... Ooh, Dr. Silva, you definitely hit that on the nail, man. I've <laughs> gone to battle so many times with the docs who, you know, you got to call an insurance company and you got to speak to the doc and say, hey, I need my patient to go to rehab. And it's literally like pulling teeth. Those physicians that you've talked to on the health insurance side, those are exactly the physicians that I'm referring to. <laughs> I say that there are opportunities for non-clinical careers with insurance companies. So it is a pretty popular career path right now to take one of those medical directorships with health insurance companies where you're reviewing requests for prior authorizations or for a level of care for inpatient stays to determine whether they meet the policies for the insurance company or they meet evidence-based practice guidelines. So while that may be frustrating for many physicians on the clinical side, the physicians who are working in those roles tend to really enjoy them because it definitely involves you using your medical knowledge and looking into the guidelines, what the evidence says, and trying to figure out really what is the best thing for the patient right now. and should the insurance company be paying for the requested service or not? And it's sort of like a mini investigation with every review that you do as one of those medical directors. You're not lying. Man, it's painful. But 
definitely there's something for everyone. And along that same line, I want to ask you this question because, you know, applying to medical school, getting into residency, all that stuff, like, let's be real, like that is literally a master class in scarcity mindset, right? Like you get into whatever medical school for the most part that you can fit into, right? Mm-hmm. Or you go to a residency that you match in and you're hoping that you get into your top, but the majority of people, you know, you get in where you fit in, right? So right. is that the same mentality when you're trying to find these jobs? And what I mean by that, is it really scarce? Is it really hard to get into these jobs? Or am I overthinking things? It's just pretty abundant that you can get a job. So as a whole, it is pretty abundant. There is a non-clinical job out there for probably every doctor that wants one. Really? I think so. Nice. Okay. If you're considering non-clinical jobs just as one lump. But as we talked about before, they're so different from one another. So there's no doctor out there that would be perfectly happy with any non-clinical job. So it's really important to identify what type of organization or what industry or what type of company you're going for. And once you narrow that down, you could definitely find that things are scarce. So one of the the sections in my book, for example, is careers in the entertainment industry. So rules for physicians there, they are... Now you got me perked up. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Come on now. Let's learn more about that. Well, the physician that I interviewed in that section is actually the medical chief of staff for the Dr. Oz show. And he has just the most exciting career. I swear I kind of live vicariously through reading about what he's doing in his career because it's so exciting. But how many medical unit chief of staff positions for the Dr. Oz? There's only one and he's got it. And there are really that many shows or other endeavors within the entertainment business that are kind of in Dr. Oz's position in which they may need an actual doctor to help them come up with content and weigh in on the topics that are being discussed. So That's an area that is scarce. But for doctors who are truly passionate about the entertainment industry and they're willing to think creatively and potentially willing to move their families to a a large city and just really go after their dreams, there are jobs out there for them. Hmm. Because I see a lot of the medical consultant jobs, like, you know, making sure that for any TV show, like making sure that the medical, basically the stuff that they're portraying on TV is legit. So that's what you're Mm -hmm. talking about, like the medical consultants. That's what you're referring to. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that brings up a good point. And that is that when full-time opportunities are scarce in a certain organization type or a certain industry that you're interested in, there may be a lot more consulting opportunities. So a full-time role may not be an option, but uh, freelancing or picking up some work on the side, just on a part-time or consulting basis, that is an option. And someone can even weave together pretty much a full-time role with several different consulting opportunities if they wanted. And in that regard, you'd be basically starting your own small business, which is exciting in and of itself. Oh yeah. I agree with you there. Now I had a question because I looked up, uh, I was looking in your book and I saw that the wealth management and private banking sector has a need for physicians. Like explain that to us. Like I'm trying to figure out how that makes sense. It seems like that'd be diametrically opposed, but help me understand that. So this, I, I'll preface by saying I know fairly little about this sector, but enough that I can say where physician fits in within financial management. So many listeners are probably aware that there are financial advisors and wealth managers that oftentimes physicians themselves and and physician, physician couples will hire someone to help them manage their finances and all of their investments. 
and help them plan for a, a strong financial future. If a physician learns as much as is necessary to have the skills to be able to give that advice to other people, they're in an interesting spot in which they can really identify with customers who are in the medical field, whether it's physicians or other medical professionals. And some physicians who are hiring financial planners or wealth managers really value that medical background and having someone who can truly identify with some of the struggles that they're going through. For example, having a lot of debt, but also having a really high salary. That's something that you find in medicine, but not a whole lot of other careers. So as a physician, if you're interested in wealth management and either have the knowledge already or can build up the knowledge and then get the license, you really have a leg up for a certain clientele. So aside from that, the medical consultant who works for the Dr. Oz show, is there any other like secret jobs, like bomb ass jobs that like docs are doing that nobody knows about that you may know about? I would say that medical writing... I can see you smiling. (laughs) Medical writing has, I guess I could call them secrets. It's known to many physicians that medical writing exists and that is that any type of writing that is about a medical topic that might be either geared toward medical professionals or toward a patient audience that's either about the scientific basis of medicine or it's about patient education or other topics that rely on having an understanding of the science or or medicine behind the topic. But within that, there's really a pretty large breadth of opportunities. It's not just one job that is medical writer. You can get a job with a pharmaceutical company in their medical education division, or similarly in a medical communications company that works with pharmaceutical companies to help them develop their continuing medical education content for when they have new drugs coming out of the pipeline. Or on a completely different level, you could be the journal editor-in-chief for a medical journal or work with a news publisher to help do medical and health news or beats within their publications. So really, regardless of the type of writing that you like to do, there probably is some sort of medical writing opportunity that lends itself to that. I know where you started in 2017. That's when, you know, we're kind of in the midst, the golden age right now of people openly talking about this. But, you know, talk to us about that transition that you've seen where, you know, nobody was really talking about this stuff to now it's all over the place. You have this great book that's out there. What's it like now seeing what you put out there? Do you feel like you kind of, do you feel vindicated, validated with what's going on now and the atmosphere that we have in medicine? Uh, to some extent. although. I must say a lot of what I see has to do with burnout. So I don't like the fact that some physicians are pursuing non-clinical opportunities because they feel burned out. And I kind of touched on this before, that I feel like you should have a different reason. You should want to have a non-clinical career for because of what you'll be doing in that career specifically, not because of what you're getting away from. So I dislike that and I don't like that so many physicians are burned out. And I think that that needs to be addressed because there are some great clinicians that still truly love practicing medicine that shouldn't be forced out of their jobs because of the frustrations and the stressors that they face in a clinical setting. But that said, for those who a non-clinical job really is a good thing for their interests and where they want their career to head. I certainly am very pleased that that the word is getting out about it and that there is more information readily available to physicians for where they might 
let their careers go and how they can get started in making that tradition, transition. I'm going to put you on the spot. So just as succinctly as you can, why don't you make the case for us for a non-clinical career? A non-clinical career can really utilize what you've learned in medical school and during residency and the clinical skills that you've gained up until this point and use those skills and that knowledge and that experience in order to help individuals or the medical profession or populations of people on a larger scale by helping an organization to bring a medical perspective into the product or the service that it develops. Boom. There it is. Dr. Sylvie, thank you so much for jumping on the show. Once again, tell us about your book. Tell us the name. Tell us where we can find this book. And also tell us where we can continue to follow you. Great. So the book is called 50 Non-Clinical Careers for Physicians. And it will come up when you search for it on Amazon. Or you can go to my blog at lookforzebras.com. And I have a page that will lead you to the Amazon site from there, as well as a bunch of blog posts on other topics related to non-clinical careers and other things about just finding fulfillment in your career. It looks like you even have a job board in there also. Yes, there is a job board that is focused on non-clinical opportunities, telemedicine opportunities, part-time and consulting gigs, and anything that is really unconventional type of work for physicians. So you can go check that out. And there's also um, a page in which you can contact me directly. Awesome. Awesome. Listen, Dr. Sylvie, great work with creating this book. Thank you so much for continuing to you know, be a part of the crew that's demystifying success and fulfillment for doctors. And obviously, there are multiple ways that we can reach that. And maybe even transitioning to a non-clinical career is one of them. So kudos to you for writing this book. I love it. Like I said, I endorsed it. And I'm a big fan and congratulations for writing this book. Everybody, y'all need to cop this book, 50 Non-Clinical Careers for Physicians. Dr. Sylvie, thank you for jumping on Docs Outside the Box. Thank you so much.